Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 26, Halftime. Makers of Sport Halftime, the 20-minute show on the off weeks of interviews where I discuss topics such as professionalism, entrepreneurship, and business to help you in your careers so that you can apply it to the sports industry. For today's topic, I'm gearing this talk more towards those of you who freelance or are wanting to freelance. We're going to be discussing the infamous topic of pricing. I'll preface this by saying, uh, please don't expect to come out of this show with a solid figure in your head that tells you what you are supposed to charge. Uh, this topic is very tough to put into a box and, and very tough to also give a solid answer to. You'll hear many different opinions or see many different articles making sometimes even polarizing arguments saying if you don't charge in the method of X person, that you are not a professional or that you're wrong. I strongly disagree with these mentalities. As I have mentioned many times before, and especially on my latest episode with uh, The Interception Show with Joe Bosack, I feel that way too many people try to put the creative services industry in a box, and I just don't believe this to be valid. What works for you and your clients may not work for anyone else. That being said, my goal through this podcast and specifically halftime is to encourage all of us to up our games in the world of professionalism as it regards to the sports business. Today, I'll be covering three different pricing methods, including the infamous hourly rate, which is perhaps the most commonly used method in the creative services business and one that you have most certainly heard of. Uh, I'll also be discussing the coveted retainer pricing method as well as fixed fee pricing. Because each topic can get really deep, I'm only going to do a bird's eye view on each of these methods in order to keep this show to our standard 20 minute halftime talk. Uh, we may have to revisit these in depth at a later time if there happen to be more questions. So I'll begin with hourly pricing. Now you may notice that many clients will ask you for your hourly rate when you're working on a project. This method of pricing for many years has been the standard of the freelance industry. So what does, it, what does hourly pricing mean? It involves billing your time for a certain rate. So billing each hour of your time for a certain rate. The client comes to you asking you for, what, for your hourly rate and typically with very rare exceptions, the client will require some form of estimate from you on how long something will take so that they can get an idea of what the end cost is going to be. Most clients don't accept blind uh, hourly rates or uh, open hourly rates where you just bill and bill and bill uh, without giving them some sort of end price. It's very rare that that happens. Maybe occasionally you can run into someone that will do that. But typically the client has a budget in mind and the end cost is really the number they're mostly concerned with. Hourly pricing alone is not something that I personally am a huge fan of, you know, as it regards to the billable hour, because most clients may see something like, say, $500 per hour and think that that is way too much in comparison to someone charging $75 per hour. That tends to be, they tend to compare the 
one hour of work, which is very tough because your experience and your knowledge may actually allow you to achieve results quicker than a person that is charging 75 per dollars an hour. So th there may be some offset in that cost. So uh, to come up with a scenario here, a client comes to you, asks you for an hourly rate. In some instances, in some instances, they may request your rate card. Uh, what that means is they, you'll hear rate cards a lot in the advertising industry, and especially you may get a rate, an, a rate card from a, a publication you're putting an ad in, and that's where you, you may have different rates for different tasks. Agencies that charge hourly, uh, will sometimes have different rates for junior designers versus senior designers versus creative directors or versus partners. They may also have different rates based on the task. For example, project management or meetings may be less, uh, less of an hourly rate than the creative uh, or development type work. In these instances, hourly rates are typically calculated based on the difficulty of the task and the level of experience one has. Now, I do not actually in any circumstances recommend using this method if you are going to freelance. I just think that it tends to complicate things and makes tracking and accounting very tough. If you're freelancing and going the hourly rate method, my recommendation is to use one hourly rate for everything, just to keep it simple. So that includes everything from phone calls to meetings to project management, design, writing, revisions, everything. Just use one hourly rate. So how do you come up with your hourly rate? Uh, this is where things can get a little difficult. There, this is where it, it's also very different for everyone. I don't believe in a quote market rate unquote uh, in in the creative industry. Everyone is different and has different experiences, talents, methods, backgrounds, and personalities. I've seen. Uh, bids come in, responses to certain RFPs and seen two or three firms charging around $40,000 for something. And then you'll have one firm that charges $250,000. So that's where the whole market rate kind of gets really tough. You know, it just depends on the experiences and backgrounds. So uh, just because a freelancer charges X hourly rate does not mean that you can also command that rate for yourself. Maybe they have some bigger names on their client roster, or maybe they are a speaker uh, at conferences, which is another good way to get known. Uh, or maybe they are just well-known in, in a certain niche. So take the sports branding industry, for example. If, if a bunch of people are bidding on particular work in sports branding and, and one particular firm only does sports branding work and another firm has healthcare and a couple other things, the person that does sports branding work may command a higher hourly rate because they have domain expertise. So to figure out your hourly rate, you have to first determine what your operating cost is. Now this is where you have to add up yourself personally, all of your overhead. So what does it cost you to survive as a business or as a person or to support a family if that's uh, if that's in your wheelhouse. So typical expenses will include utilities, electricity, internet costs, any monthly software costs such as Adobe Creative Cloud, mortgages if you have a home 
or if you have office rent, uh, you'll want to include that. You also want to include retirement if you're planning on putting money away for retirement. And then also things like groceries. How much on growth, gro- groceries do you spend per month? And how much do you want to designate for dining out as far as your budget for a month? Uh, and also, if you want to keep your Netflix subscription or get the latest sports package from a television company, you'll want to add this into your operating cost as a freelancer. Now, that particular part may not necessarily be a business expense as far as your taxes are concerned, but it is a personal expense. And we have those two that need to be paid for from our job. So that needs to be covered through the work that you provide. So basically this figure equals what it costs you to survive. The very minimum you can make or that you want to make if you're including the television things and some of the sort of extra extracurricular expenses that you may not particularly need. So this is your break even rate. And so basically what that means is if you charge this and you work the standard, the US standard 40 hours per week for the year, you'll pay for everything that you need to survive and you will have $0 left over. And so that $0 is actually where your profit lies. So what you will do from here is you're going to take your bulk number for the year and just for the ease of math, let's say that's $60,000. So you you have $60,000 in the expenses that I talked about earlier. So there are 52 weeks in the year and let's say you want 2 weeks 2 weeks vacation and holidays. So what you'll do is you'll subtract those from the 52 weeks. So let's say we will take two weeks of vacation and 10 holidays, which equals four weeks. And and I'm basically counting business days here. So we're, we're talking about five days per week. So that gives us 48 working weeks out of our year. So if we take our $60,000 in operating costs and we divide that by 48, we get 1,250 dollars per week. So basically we need to make 100 or $1,250 per week in order to survive. Now we need to take into account how many hours we actually want to work. So in the U S as I mentioned, we typically work 40 hour weeks, but you'll want to keep in mind that these are actually billable hours that we are accounting for here. So for every single billable hour, there are going to be non billable hours such as business development, initial meetings, or those first sort of meetings that you have with potential clients, Uh, learning and education. You'll want to designate some time for that throughout your year. Networking lunches, accounting and bookkeeping. Those are very vital when you're running your own business. So you'll obviously need to have some time for that. You'll also want to account for updating your social media or just marketing in general, marketing your business in general. So taking all that into uh, account, let's just say we want to bill 30 hours per week. So we're working 40 hours per week. We're billing 30 hours per week. We're leaving 10 hours for some of those extra things and business development and things like that. So in that case, we will take our $1,250. We'll divide that by 30 hours. So we need to make $1,250 per week. How many hours we want a week? 30 hours. Divide that. We have $41.66. So what we'll do is probably just round that up to 42. So basically we have $42 per hour after taking into account our vacations, holidays, and operating expenses. So $42 per hour is our break-even rate. 
Now, after you come up with this figure, you can add to it in order to realize some profit off of the work you provide. So the goal of getting into business is not just to break even, it's to make profit. We want to make some money out of here. So right now we're making $0 a year because we're, we're working and, and our, our expenses are being covered. Uh, and so <clears throat> this is where things can get a little, a uh, little tricky Everyone's expenses are obviously different, but here's where we start to figure out some of our value and our worth. So for example, how long have you been working? How fast are you at what you do? And how in demand are you at what you do? Are you a super popular designer that just stays busy and has a ton of work? Have you done any big brand work? So if you've done work for, say, a professional sports team, you are probably have a, a little more value than someone who has maybe done no professional work in regards to sports and maybe they've just done little club teams or ju their little junior league teams. Also, another question to consider is, are you performing a task that is very hard to replicate? So maybe you're, maybe you're an iOS programmer, you know, you're programming the iPhone, or maybe you're doing some type of uh, motion work or a particular illustration style that just Johnny anybody can't just replicate and have their nephew or, or whatever do. So to start as a beginner, we're going to maybe take a percentage of our operating costs. So let's say that we want to set a goal and say that we want to realize 20% profit on our business. So we're going to take 20% of our $60,000 operating costs which equals $12,000. So we'll add that to our operating expenses. And then what we have is a salary of $72,000 of US dollars. I, might, uh, I just want to obviously add that because I know there's some international listeners. So 72,000 US dollars a year as a salary. So what we'll do is we'll take that figure and repeat the exact same math we just did in order to come up with an hourly rate of $50 per hour. So basically we need to charge $50 per hour at least 30 hours per week for 48 weeks of the year to meet our target salary. Now there are, I, I know just from a vocal perspective and hearing this in the audio form, it, it maybe it gets a little, little tough, uh, a little hard to understand, but there are plenty of online rate calculators that you can find to determine hourly rates. And since we are creative people and, and hate math, I'll, uh, I'll post a few in the show notes. So one of the downfalls of the hourly rate is it actually punishes efficiency. I think all of us know the more that you do something, the better you get at it and the quicker you become at it. So in that case, the only way to make money and, and realize some profit is to continue raising your hourly rate. Now, this can get tricky when you have multiple clients and say you begin to experiment with some new hourly rates when new clients come in. Uh, it can cause some confusion for yourself when it comes to invoicing and time tracking. And if you're not careful how you approach that, you can really mess that up. Now, I use an online time tracking system called Harvest for both invoices and time tracking. I've had a great experience with it. Um, so I highly recommend that if, if you're looking for something. The next pricing method I'll discuss is the retainer. So this is the coveted method for most creative businesses when it comes to steady and predictable revenue. Now from experience, this method in my opinion provides the best relationship between you, the creative, and the client. Basically what is happening here is a client is renting you 
for a certain amount of time. So the hourly rate from earlier still applies. However, in this case, what you'll do is you'll specify in contracts. And I know as a professional that you pr approach every job with a contract, so I'm not even going to visit that topic. Uh, anyhow, you will specify that the client will pay you either on the first of every month or, or depending on how you, how you write it, the last day of every month. And what they're going to do is pay you for the amount of hours that the two of you have agreed uh, for that following month. So 100% of the money in this case comes up front. Now also, you're going to be getting steady work in exchange. So typically what you want to do here and this is part of the sell is you'll want to reward the client with some type of percentage off of uh, your, your hourly rate. So for, for ease of math, let's say I have an hourly rate of $100 per hour. The client agrees to a retainer with me because they have a ton of work uh, that they need to send my way and paying via the retainer is going to actually save them 10%. So again, that's part of the sell of retainers. There's sort of a give and take there. They pay you up front every month and in exchange, you drop everything and give them priority when they send you work. So let's say a client has a ton of work for me. I agree to give them a 10% discount on my rates if they pay me via the retainer. Uh, we agree to a time frame of the contract and the amount of hours per month. So we may agree to 20 hours per month at $90 an hour for the year. That's my 10% off. Once a year is up, things may have changed for me. I may have gotten married and had a child during that time, or I may have bought a house, or I may have gotten so busy that I need to hire someone. So I may need to bump up my hourly rate, uh, in which case my retainer contract would need to be revisited. So in our fake scenario, we would be paid $1,800 on the first day of the month. And that would be for that month's hours, 100% upfront. So what I will do is I will actually track my time against those hours. And then I'll, I may let the client know when we are approaching 20 hours, or I may give, just choose to give them a weekly report. Some people may specify in their contracts that once you reach 20 hours, uh, they will begin billing again at the full rate, uh, which would be $100 per hour in our case. This is uh, because we have set aside 20 hours for that client, and when they reach that maximum, we are actually dipping into our other time for our other clients where we are billing the full $100 per hour. So if the client consistently goes over, it may be time to have a conversation with them and really try to encourage them to up the retainer hours in order to save them a little bit. If your retainer client underutilizes the hours you have reserved for them, you can choose to let them roll over to the next month. Now, personally, I don't actually advocate for this method. I abide by the use them or lose them mentality. I'm setting aside 20 hours for you and I'm turning down work in order to reserve those hours. So if you don't use them, I believe that to be your fault, not mine. As a freelancer, we just can't afford to roll that over to the next month since you have dedicated more than 20 hours, uh, which tends to dip into our other client work, like I mentioned. So what happens when you end up getting four retainer clients and reserving more than the 30 billable hours per week we discussed earlier? Well, this is when you start hiring people or outsourcing some of your work. Now that means that your business is scaling and you can actually no longer perform the work alone because there just isn't enough time in the day. Now that's actually a topic that's outside the scope of this particular discussion. So I may touch on that in another halftime episode. 
Many client services business in the tech startup world actually prefer the retainer method simply because this means that your revenue is predictable and it's recurring. So that allows you to better plan for the year as it regards to hiring, bringing on new work or doing things like renting an office. Some companies may even break it down into a weekly rate. I've seen this happen before with with particular companies, especially in the web world. Uh, They'll have multiple retainer contracts and they may dedicate specific teams to each client. With the technology world tending to move pretty fast and getting into some things like agile practices, which you'll have to Google Google agile methodologies if, if you're into tech to see what I'm referring to there, or just constantly changing and iterating on their, on their products. So think Facebook and their constant interface changes. Th- those companies may prefer to retain companies on or, or talent on a, a weekly rate. So just be sure to reserve that time in advance th- so that you can plan for other work that you have at the moment. And then especially when that time ends, be sure to have something else in its place. The bottom line here really is that retainers provide the client more access to you and you become a partner with them, becoming much more deeply ingrained into their business and their processes. And, and like I said before, in my experience, these are the best business relationships if you are providing a service, simply because you tend to have a close relationship and, and you, you tend to talk a lot more and learn a lot more about their company. So the last pricing strategy, uh, and I know I'm a little bit over here, but uh, the last pricing strategy we're going to talk on is the the fixed fee. So this is where you have a set price for your services and your client knows exactly what they're going to pay ahead of time. This sort of can be coupled with hourly billing in that you come up with a price based on an undisclosed hourly rate and then give that price to the client. Uh, They basically, they pay whatever the estimate is, nothing more, nothing less. Now in this scenario, you really have to pay attention to scope creep and you have to clearly define all your deliverables in the in the contract. Uh, otherwise, this type of pricing method can lead to scope creep where the client tends to nickel and dime the project, constantly making revisions and requests that weren't necessarily agreed to when you originally came up with the price. Sometimes you may even see some lower end creative businesses packaging things up as a fixed price. So an example of that may be a shop that will provide an identity package for $3,000. And maybe in that you get a logo, a business card, an envelope, and a letterhead, and maybe one round of revisions on each. So basically this means that every single client that comes to you gets that same price. It's, it almost becomes like the fast food mentality where you just package all these things up and the way that you make money is to just sell a lot of them. So big or small, large budget or tiny budget, your price tends to never change in that instance if you're packaging things up like that. Now, in some cases, you you may hear the term value-based pricing, which is another way to do the fixed fee pricing. Now, this is where a mixture of things actually comes into play. And one of those is your time. How much is your time worth? Exactly what we discussed earlier. Next is realizing the value to the client. Now, this is where you will need to ask the client questions to determine how much something is worth to them. Uh, In all of these pricing instances, you'll have to really look at the risk that is involved on your end. So for example, There's much more risk involved when you're doing a rebrand, say, for Pepsi than for some mom-and-pop chicken restaurant in your location. 
So this is where when we see articles comparing logo designs and, and, you know, to something like, say, the Pepsi logo, it always drives me nuts because it's not an apples to apples comparison. In Pepsi's instance, a lot of times strategy and full branding campaign was involved rather than just a logo. Also, Pepsi being a consumer brand, and it needs to be recognizable on the shelf. And in the instance that it isn't or that there is some massive screw up, Pepsi being a global brand, there's a lot more risk on your end involved. So you need to take that into account when pricing things like this. So how do you determine value to the client? Well, one example, which was recently written about by uh, in Fast Company, is to do what's called a value mirror. And, and I'll post a link to this in the show notes. But in their example, they use a law firm that has 500 partners, which are billing at an average of $1,000 per hour. So they determined their design budget to be $500,000. And what that ends up being is one hour of work from each of the 500 partners. So when you put it into that perspective, it sounds, it does $500,000 doesn't sound like a lot. So you have some internal math that is done to cover your time worth, but the that particular costs isn't something the client necessarily needs to know. And in those cases, that's an internal cost. It doesn't have to be anyone else's business but your own if you choose that to be. That cost is, is one of your expenses. A different example that's not necessarily related to the Fast Company one, but kind of dips over into the web world a little bit, is maybe you are working on a website for, let's just say, in this instance, a college. So you have a client that is a college that... Uh, you have to ask how many student leads are they hoping to realize per month from this new project that you, that you are going to be providing. So let's just say they tell you they're hoping to get 10 leads. So those, and remember those 10 leads in this scenario are, they're hoping that 10 potential students engage with them on this site, maybe sign up for an email list or something, a request information. So the next question that I'm going to ask is how much is that student lead worth to the school? And typically in these scenarios, they, they probably should have already determined this number. So in our scenario, let's just say that a student lead to them is worth $5,000. So my next question is, how many leads are they hoping to close on out of those 10 leads per month? So how many students are going to actually register to become a, a member of this particular college? Let's just say they tell you 40% or four in our scenario. So now what we have is a website that is worth $20,000 to the client per month if they close on those leads. So we got that from taking the 5,000, multiplying it by four, and which is the leads that, uh, that they are hoping to close on. So $20,000 per month. Now, after determining the typical time frame for a website, and this is based on estimate and sort of industry norms and, and things like that, let's just say, a website is in existence for um, two years. You know, typically you might see one of these big university websites get redesigned and with the constant change of technology and that type of thing, they don't have any major structural changes for two years. So now basically because of that two years, what we have determined based on those leads is that the value of this project to that client is worth $480,000. So let's say I come in at a bid at $150,000 for the website. And basically what I've done is just prove to them that the value of the site, if they do their job and close on their leads, is worth $480,000 to them. 
then I have reframed that problem to make my price not sound like that much in all honesty. You know, again, it's about reframing the problem on a lot of this stuff. So going to the client and telling them that your site is going to cost uh, them $150,000. They'll, they, they may think you're crazy, but when you show them through those value-based questions about their business, what the real worth of the project is to them, it tends to put things in a completely different perspective. And what they're doing is realizing much more value on what you're providing them than what they're actually paying you. Now to, to wrap up, and I know that we went quite a bit over on this one, but hopefully you get some value from this. Uh, everything here really revolves around estimates and also determining your own value. At the end of the day, you have to be confident and you have to charge what you're worth. You have to really also, then this is the hard part, try to be objective about this. Are you landing local work? Or are you landing national work? Because those are two different things and those are going to determine, uh, you know, your value. Do you provide one service or do you provide multiple services? The, the key to pricing, no matter what, is to always be confident. You have to approach these conversations about money firmly and, and you can't second guess. The minute you begin to second guess, the sharks can immediately smell blood in the water. And not only when you do that, does it make a potential client question your worth in regards to money? It also may make them question whether you are even capable of doing the job. You know, are you, do, are you even sure that you know what you're doing or are you just kind of a hobbyist at this? And, and I think that's really the difference between a professional and an amateur is a professional comes in with a solid point of view and a solid price. And, and then I'm not saying that you can't negotiate in these situations. A lot of times that's just business. There's going to be negotiations. Um, you, you know, that's just a part of the way things go. So you may want to come in with a little bit more and, and have in your head like what you're willing to settle for. Now, I'll end this pricing discussion with a brilliant and inspirational quote from one of Pentagram's partners. Uh, her name is Paula Share. And Pentagram, for those that may not know or may not follow uh, the industry, that particular niche of the industry so heavy is, is a world-renowned design and, and branding firm. They actually did the New York Jets identity and they did the uh, trophy, the college football playoff trophy. So anyway, uh, sh she once drew a logo for a multi-million dollar client on a napkin in the meeting with the client. Now, when, when being told that it only took her a few seconds to draw it, she mentioned that it actually took her 34 years. Now think about that for a minute. Does that make sense? Well, it took her 34 years to grow her skills, her knowledge, and her abilities in order to be competent and talented enough to draw a logo in a few seconds. Never undermine your worth in this industry. Next week's episode guest is going to be Bethany Heck. Bethany is a former designer for IBM's Mobile Innovation Lab in Austin, Texas. And she is also the founder and designer of EFIS League, which is a website with articles and products geared towards passionate baseball fans that have an appreciation for design and culture. Now, I actually met Bethany a couple of months ago on Twitter. We started direct messaging each other and really hit it off. So it should be a really good episode. As always, please take a couple of minutes and like rate and write reviews of the show on iTunes. Uh, if you're getting into freelance, I know for a fact that you got value out of this particular show. So, so go and take 
two minutes and write me a review. Uh, you know, like I say all the time, it's a, sort of a half joke, but stop freeloading on the content. You know, I'm not flooding you guys with ads like most podcasts do. Um, this show isn't sponsored by anybody. I don't actually need your ears in order to put this out there. So the show is always going to be focused on quality content and not just appealing to whatever the sponsor wants to do or just, or just putting things out just because I need to put something out because I have a sponsor that's sponsoring the show. Uh, so if you can, please take two minutes, write a review, uh, hit the five star or, uh, you know, again, I'll also accept likes and ratings on Stitcher or SoundCloud and wherever you happen to be listening right now. Lastly, uh, you can uh, please say hello to me on Twitter. And if you have any epi- or questions about this particular episode, then just uh, at me on Twitter. Or you can send me an email, adam at makersofsport.com. Be sure to like the Facebook page, which is at facebook.com slash makersofsport. I'm T. Adam Martin on Twitter uh, and Dribble, And the show is at makersofsport. Until next time, have a good week.